I'd like to begin today's message by uh, telling a story. And the whole thing that we're going to do today is a story. And it is, it's a story that involves three main characters and one extra character called Jesus. The three main characters in this story are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, in this story, we learn something. Where the story picks up, we hear that the Lazarus is sick. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, they send word to Jesus. Jesus, the one you love, is sick. And we can even read that in John 11, 1 through 3. It says, a man named Lazarus was sick. And he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sister went word, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So here's a story. What do we have so far? Three siblings and Jesus. Jesus the one you love is sick. And this is a passive way of saying, our brother is dying. We're asking you to come heal him without actually asking. And so John adds a curious detail at this point. Look at verse 5. He says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. What's up with that? So Jesus waits two whole days before setting off to see Lazarus. So what kind of, what, what is this story that's shaping up here? It's very interesting. You got these people. Hey, Jesus, he's sick. Come heal him. I love these people. Oh, I love these people. I'm just going to stay here for two more days. I mean, what gives? Why the delay? Why do you think Jesus would delay it? Sure, the distance between two towns is pretty great. There's no, and some scholars say that there's no way that Jesus could have made it back to Lazarus in time before something worse would happen. So why isn't there more urgency in the part of Jesus? Why? I don't know if you can relate to this. I, I think I can. I notice that followers of Jesus struggle sometimes. When Jesus doesn't show up the way we want him to show up, when we want him to show up. Has that been true for you ever, if you're willing to admit it? Just, uh, some of you can raise your hands. Others just make eye contact if that's ever been true for you. Because it's hard to admit Jesus, why aren't you doing the thing I want you to do? I, I know my world best. Why won't you do the thing with this relationship? Uh, I prayed and prayed and prayed for an answer. I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall. God, are you even hearing me? Uh, and maybe you've been in that situation. I know I have. I've prayed and prayed and prayed for an answer, for direction. And it never seemed to come at the time that I wanted it to come, or as clearly as I thought, it, as quickly as it should come. There's been times when I prayed for healing for somebody, and yet they stayed sick. Uh, there's times I've prayed for a relationship to be reconciled, and it wasn't reconciled for years. Now, that wasn't what I asked for. I asked for it now, Jesus. Like in five minutes, God, can you have that person call me? Can we reconcile? Can we move on? But it didn't work that way. How about you? Do you ever feel angry or brokenhearted when things don't happen on your timeline with God? Or when things don't come through the way you want them to, when they're supposed to? Do you find that hard to accept? I think what we see here in this story is that same thing. James Baldwin, he's a smart guy, he said this, The Lord never seems to get there when you want him, 
But when he arrives, he always, he's always right on time. And so even though sometimes I feel like things don't happen in my timeline, if I look back on my spiritual history, my journey with Jesus, my journey with God, maybe I didn't get what I thought I needed or wanted at the time that I needed or wanted it, but, I, but God came through in the way that I needed him to come through when he wanted to. It almost reminds me of Gandalf. You guys remember Gandalf? He's in a small series called The Lord of the Rings, L-O-T-R. And uh, at the beginning of um, one of them, uh, there's a, what's that guy's name, Frodo? Frodo Baggins? Yep. Okay, so Frodo Baggins uh, is there, and Gandalf shows up to the Shire, and uh, Frodo, Frodo goes, you're late. And, and it's like this whole scene, and then uh, Gandalf, what does he say? He goes, oh, nonsense. A wizard is never late, and he's never early. He arrives precisely when he means to. I'm not sure why the laughter is there. <laughs> uh, I mean, the LOTR nerds are like, you've butchered that bad. But I think what Tolkien was doing is he was in that allegory, allegorical moment. He's making a statement about Jesus. He's never late. He's never early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Yet, Lazarus is dying. Jesus, can you at least pack your bags so you can leave right away? Okay, fast forward, two days later. Jesus arrives in Bethany. The first person he encounters is Martha. Now, Martha goes out to meet him on the road. It's a fun little detail. She runs out to meet him. And here's where we get the bad news. Lazarus is dead. And she says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now, some people might hear Martha blaming Jesus for not showing up on, on time, and I suppose that's possible. But she's also making a statement about her faith. And when she says, if you had been here, isn't she making it clear that she thinks Jesus could have done something in that moment? You see, even in her grief, Martha believes that Jesus still has power. But apparently she doesn't believe that he has enough power to bring Lazarus from the dead. Probably because there was no concept of resurrection at the time. You just didn't think about things that way. Just like if you went to a morgue. Your first instinct is to comfort those who have lost a loved one, not to pray for a resurrection. Right? It's out of the ordinary this would have been out of the ordinary to ask. So we can't blame Martha for not knowing what to ask for So because she, she had no thought of a resurrection. But there's something here about Martha that we see in this, is that Martha seems to be the kind of woman who engages God with her head. She knows who Jesus is. She's committed to her beliefs. And if you're a Martha type, um, you, you're, you may be quite sure about who Jesus is. But maybe sometimes you lose hope in what he can actually do. I know God is good. I know God loves me. I know that when I die, I will spend forever and eternity with Jesus. But your, the hope that Martha has for here and now is shrunk. And you see, Martha has lost some hope, and who could blame her? 
her brother's dead. He's been dead for four days. But their conversation continues. Here's where it's going to get a little wild. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Well, nothing is shaken in Martha's faith here. Yes, Jesus. I believe that eventually I'll get to see my brother again. I will be with him again. I believe that you have a role in that, Jesus. You ever felt that way? I believe, Jesus, that things are going to get better. I believe this relationship is going to get better. I believe that my financial situation will eventually get better. And we put everything on after we die. We put a lot of pressure on what happens to us as Christians after we die. Now, the fancy term for this in theological circles is called reductionist soteriology. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> reductionist soteriology. We reduce the idea of salvation to mean that only after we die and go to heaven, that's the thing that matters in our life with God. We reduce it down to its basic element. And what we see is that Jesus starts toying with that, that we, we don't have to think that way. Um, and maybe you've felt like that. Um, I know that I have. Um, I remember in 2012, I went through a major job transition. And I was like, my faith was strong. <laughs> I was like, God, you are good. I love you. Um, you know, I'd, le I'd left working at a church and I was processing how to do something new in church world. I love you, God. I'm not giving up on my faith. I'm not deconstructing. I, I, I'm trying to grow and build a vibrant relationship with you, God, but I don't understand what's going on. Maybe it'll just get fixed, uh, you know, eventually. It, it, had, it was difficult to process or have a concept about what God could do in the immediate or what God could do in the next few years. And so I just was finding myself relying on theological concepts to get me through it. Even though I still love God, I believe in God, I couldn't see if and how and when he was going to come through for me. I felt like Martha. Maybe you have too. And for all the Martha types, I think one of the things we try to do is we try to stay rational when things are confusing. We stay rational. We stay clear on what we know. And we also stay rational. That means we keep our expectations low. We don't expect too much. We don't hope for too much. We trust in Jesus for the future, but basically we don't expect much from him in the present. And see, what I love about Jesus, I think Jesus looked at Martha and knew that she needed a resurrection of her own. And so he connects with her in the way that worked for her. And that's what we get here. We get a little bit of a theology lesson here. And he says to her, Jesus said to her, I hear you, but I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And in this powerful I am statement, Jesus meets Martha. Where she's at, in her head, to help reach her heart. He reminds her that her belief in him is not just for the future. Not just when she dies, not just when Lazarus dies, not when Mary dies or anyone else dies. But it's also for the present. And the hope she needs right now is standing right in front of her. Well, not only does Martha have an encounter with Jesus, but Mary does too, the sister. 
Here's what it says. After Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking you, asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Uh, notice that Martha ran out to see Jesus, but Mary stayed at home. Makes me wonder if Mary was just kind of in despair. I mean, how, what would you do if your sibling died? I mean, I don't think I'd do anything. I'm not going out on the road to me. I'm going to lay in bed. And you get, that, you get that pain. The pain comes through in that moment. Mary is in, in pain. She is hurting. It's hard not to imagine that in the midst of her grief, as weird as she was, you know, maybe she just wanted to be left alone. Maybe you have experienced pain. Maybe you have experienced suffering. Heartbreak, loss, and you just want to pull back, shrink back. It hurts. And Jesus, rather than being like, why didn't you meet me on the road? He meets her in a different way. Jesus calls for her, and she does. She does rush out to come, come meet him, but this is what he says. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Sound familiar? It's almost similar to Martha. Not the same actions, not the same response. But there's a difference between Mary and Martha's response. You see, Mary makes no attempt to put on her game face. She's just, here it is. And she falls at Jesus' feet in despair. And I think Jesus looked at Mary and knew that she needed to hear something different than what he gave to Martha. I think Mary represents the person that feels a lot, that's tender-hearted. And perhaps you are like this. I don't know if I have any feelings inside of me. I don't know how I feel. But some of you, I'm trying to make a statement. That, like Some of you feel more. You're aware more. You're connected to others and the sadness of others and the positivity of others. You're just connected to those emotions. And sometimes a theological statement isn't helpful for you. Uh, so Jesus offers a different statement. He doesn't give her a theological truth. Jesus offers Mary his tears, his heart. And John records it like this. He's, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And in the shortest verse in all of Scripture, we see this. Jesus wept. Jesus cried. You know, I wonder what it would have looked like to see Jesus cry. To see that Jesus didn't hide his own emotions. To see that he didn't hide his own feelings. A grown man, a respected rabbi, crying in public. But what a comfort it must have been that Jesus chose to empathize with the emotions of Mary. Because Mary wept. And then Jesus wept alongside of her. And you know what? 
He does the same thing alongside you and me. He empathizes. He draws close. He cheers for us when we're on the mountaintop and he's with us in the valley. He weeps alongside of us. The reminder you know, that we see in the Psalms, some of which were written by David in Psalm 34, he says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That Jesus is that Lord in the flesh who draws close to you and to me when we are in pain. Jesus weeps with those who weep. He mourns with those who mourn. He celebrates with those who celebrate. If you are going through something that is painful, and if you're not, you will. You need to hear that the same Jesus that weeps alongside Mary is the same Jesus that would weep with you, that will draw close to you in your moment, in your pain. So the writer tells us, John, Jesus is uh, deeply moved, so he goes near the tomb. And he asks that the stone that covers the tomb to be rolled away. Now, uh, what do we have here? We have gravestones, right? Um, or we have those like cabinet, file cabinets of humans. Um, so you have these gravestones, okay? That's not how it's done. They had these natural caves, and they would put a body inside, and they'd put a big stone in front of it. So he said, hey, let's roll away the stone. And Martha, who thinks with her head, very utilitarian, she's like, yeah, but the body's been in there for four days. It's going to stink. It's going to smell. What are we doing here? This is odd. And after the, an exchange with Martha, the stone that blocked the entrance was moved. And then we see something wild. The eyewitnesses that saw this happen recorded this way. They said, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And then what they record is what they saw with their eyes that a dead man, Lazarus, who had been dead for four days in the tomb, locked up, came out. He came out of the dark tomb and he came into the light. And everyone starts getting excited. And everyone is blown away. This guy was dead and now he is alive. Can you imagine the celebration? Oh my God. Literally, oh my God. He was dead. Now he's alive. Our brother is back. Now, the irony of this story is that in Lazarus' uh, resurrection, this became the moment that the religious people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of the day, this was the actual moment where they go, oh, no. And they conferred in a corner or whatever they did later on that day. They conferred that they needed to assassinate Jesus they needed to work together politically to put Jesus to death because Jesus had too much power. This was one of the moments. It was a triggering moment. This guy is bringing people back to life and this is undermining our authority here. So in the ironic thing here, you've got Lazarus coming back to life and Jesus being plotted against in the same moment. But that's a story for another time. Um, that's a story for like, I don't know, four weeks from now on Easter. <laughs> so on the stage, there's great rejoicing because Lazarus is alive. 
He was dead, and now he's alive. He was resurrected. But you know what? The part about Jesus um, inviting Lazarus back to life, I don't even know how that works scientifically. That's only a small part of the story. The majority of the story is Jesus en route to Lazarus and Jesus having an interaction with Mary and Martha. You understand the, the consequences of that or the ramifications of that? Lazarus was resurrected. But really, I think Mary and Martha needed a resurrection too. That as Lazarus breathes fresh breaths for the first time in four days, we see something else happening. The end of time comes rushing in to the present. That Jesus was no longer their hope for the future. Jesus was no longer a hope that we kind of Rest in until we die and then everything will be better. We don't hold our nose in the present. We don't engage. We don't refuse to engage in the world around us. He was their hope for the present. And what Jesus said to Martha and Mary and Lazarus is the same thing that he says to you and to me. I am the resurrection and the life. You see, resurrection is not just an idea. It's not just a concept. It's just not a theological position or a doctrine. Resurrection is a person. Jesus. And I don't know what you are working through today. I don't know what your life is like today. I know some of you are going through things. I know I am. But maybe there's a relationship where you would say, it's dead. It's not coming back. Or on best, it's on life support. Maybe you've given everything you possibly can give to that relationship and it seems hopeless. The resurrection, I am the resurrection and the life, tells us that there's still hope. That God can bring any dead relationship back to life. That he can heal any broken issue that you may have caused. You may have been offensive. You may have hurt someone else. Jesus can bring healing to that. Why? Because we see the resurrection here, and in four weeks, we'll see that Jesus resurrected from the dead, showing himself to have all power over all things. There is hope. Or maybe when it comes to your life, and your career, and your pursuits, and your vocation, you've had all sorts of aspirations, and dreams, and you've worked hard, you've paid your dues. Some of you have paid your dues. Some of you are still waiting to pay your dues. Some of you don't know what dues are. But right now, your job feels like it's at a dead end. I'm here to tell you, there is no dead end when we are leaning into Christ Jesus. Now, it may not come the way we want it to. It may not come in the form that we think we need it. And it, the timeline might be whack compared to what we want. But there is hope because Jesus' resurrection and the resurrection that we see here is pressing into the present for the here and now. There is hope. For some of you, you, love, you know someone that has a nagging health concern or you have a health concern, there's a financial challenge, there's an addiction that feels like it's slowly killing you, I'm here to tell you there's hope. Not just when you die, but there's hope for the here and now. What we see in the life and times of Jesus is that the, the future is crashing into the present, the here and now, that the Holy Spirit is breaking in here and now to change how we live. And for Christians, people who follow Jesus... Our job is not to manufacture power. We don't have to make anything happen. 
You are free to sit back with your hands open and say, God, where are you at work? How do I join you in your work? And when you join God in his work, that's when you'll see miracles happen too. Now, I don't know if you're going to go raise someone from the dead, but according to this, that's actually possible. I would encourage you to consult with me for more information before you try to do that. You're going to scare some people at the hospital. They're going to be, what's that cult over at Roosevelt? You have to think about how you're going to do it. You just have to be wise in how you do that. But the possibility is there. That the thing that Jesus did, he also said, greater things you will do to his disciples. And he goes, when you go share this message to all the other followers, they will do even greater things than I did. So what we understand is the person that can cause resurrection, that can create resurrection, even from, from Lazarus to other people, is the same person that gives you the keys to the kingdom. That you get to play ball that you get to participate. So the only thing it becomes is how do you join God in his work? And how do you participate in the resurrection of all things? When you go from here and you see someone having a hard time in their marriage and you help them to find hope and healing and maybe some things that they, some resources that they need, you are bringing resurrection life into that marriage. When you are talking with someone who is just feeling really bad about life. Maybe they don't like their job. Maybe they had a bad childhood. Maybe they have financial problems. You know these people. They're kind of headed into that depression. When you ask God, God, what do you want to do with this person? How do you want me to come alongside them? How do you want me to help them? You are bringing resurrection power into that relationship. You have been given everything. You know the reason I think people like the Star Wars movies and the Matrix movies and those things, because it's so empowering to watch, let's just take Matrix. You see Neo, and all of a sudden he's like, oh my God, I can stop bullets. You know what I'm saying? You know, and he's like, figures out that he's the one. The reason we like that is because he's an average guy, and he gets to do it, and all those things. But also, because deep in our soul, in the subterranean level of our hearts, we want that for us. And what the scriptures tell us is that if you're willing to risk and join up, and make yourself available for these things. You can invite the future resurrection into people's lives now. That, okay, you have a bad health diagnosis. You learning to pray for them. And being okay if God doesn't heal them right away. But even that act is you joining up with resurrection power. And so I guess um, that is our hope. Jesus is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. Now, I can't imagine you being able to help bring dead things back to life unless you yourself are full of God's resurrection power. I don't know what feels dead in your life right now, and I don't know what you're walking through, but my prayer is that in this moment, in your heart, and in your head, you can hear these words of Jesus. I am the resurrection life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Why don't we all stand? Here's what I want to do. Uh, here's what I want to do. 
Uh, I, I want to pray for you. Um, and I don't know if you are in need of some sort of resurrection power in your life, but I want to invite God to do that for you. That the same God that brought Lazarus back to life, the same God that performed all those miracles, and the same God that rose from the dead three days after being crucified on the cross, um, that is the same God who might want to bring resurrection power to you today. So I would just want to encourage you as we sing this last song, if, if you would, even right now, whoever feels comfortable, if you would open your hands, I want to pray for you. If, you don't, if you're uncomfortable, it's not magical. You don't have to. It doesn't matter. But it's just an indication of your willingness to receive what God may have for you. And I want to pray over you. I want to pray that God would do something for you. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We come to you in this moment, holding whatever it is in our lives that feels dead right now, we bring it to you. We offer it to you. We believe in your power. We believe in your ability to bring dead things back to life. And so we put our hope in you. Would you breathe in us fresh breaths of life? Come, Holy Spirit, fresh breaths of hope, fresh breaths of resurrection. God, we thank you for meeting us where we are and being just who we need. In your mighty name we pray, amen.